Great. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Jess Bai. I'm the large cap biotech analyst at JP Morgan, and we're delighted to be continuing the conference today with BioNTech. Um, as you guys have probably gotten accustomed to, we've got a different format this year, so we're not going to switch rooms to uh, go to a breakout session. Instead, we're going to do Q&A right in this room. Uh, there's two ways to ask a question. You can raise your hand. Someone will bring you a microphone. Or you can submit questions electronically in the portal that will send it to me on an iPad, and uh, we can ask questions that way. Um, so with that, let me turn it over to Biontech CEO Ugar Zahin for the presentation. Yeah, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for the JPM team for inviting us here. It's a pleasure to present here. So first of all, the usual forward-looking statements and some safety information about our vaccine. I would like to start again, as always, with our vision. Our vision is to harness the power of the immune system to fight human diseases. And in the last three years, we were encountered with a terrible pandemic, and we were able to respond to this pandemic with a life-saving vaccine. We were in this privileged situation uh, based on 20 years of research, based on preparedness, and it shows what technology, science, and working together does. And by, by, thank you. And by being able to respond to this pandemic, yeah, uh, our company was transformed. Yeah. We are now in a situation, in a historic situation, where we can shape, shape the future of medicine with, with new technologies, with new approaches. And we see that as a new chapter in our journey yeah, uh, to act in a responsible way, to address really, to use this, this chance, yeah, uh, the ability that we have built to, to uh, contribute in a, in a m most effective manner to save individual lives, but also medical needs worldwide. 2022 was, was, a, was a great year. I would like to thank our our, our team for a number of accomplishments, and I would like to highlight just a few of them on the helicopter perspective. With regard to the commercial success, we were able to bring the first variant vaccines. We deliver, delivered more than 2 billion doses, and we were able to keep our market leadership with a broad label um, and, uh, and with, uh, with deliver, deliver, delivery of vaccines worldwide in more than 60 regions uh, on the planet. With regard to the execution on the scientific program, we uh, have proven proof of concept for our first cell therapy product, for our next generation immunomodulators, and we were able to start seven first in human clinical trials, four in oncology, and three in infectious disease. And we continue to build our company. Yeah, we built our 
capabilities were able to deliver the first COVID-19 variant vaccine within two months after announcement. We started new collaborations. We broadened our pipeline. We broadened our team and we ended the year financially strong. So what are the key strategic priorities for 2023? Number one, number one, to build and uh, strengthen our COVID-19 franchise by variant-adapted vaccines, by adding new technologies and by combination vaccines. In the immune oncology, we want to advance to our first registrational studies, starting, starting cl clinical trials in uh, various programs and in, infect, in infectious disease, we want to use the learnings of our COVID-19 vaccines to enter a new clinical trials and continue with the, with the already started one. So how are we going to accomplish this? I would like to talk a little bit about our capabilities yeah, and our network. So in the meantime, BioNTech has more than 4,500 employees yeah, from more than 80 different nations. We have sites and uh, collaborations now on five continents. And we announced last Friday a collaboration with UK. I will go later uh, in, in, into that, showing that we are building now a global company with multiple sites on multiple continents with teams on all, all relevant places to execute our vision. We want to harness the power of the immune system. For us, this means, in, in principle, excellence in five pillars, deep understanding of the immune system, target discovery, multi-platform innovation engines, digital capabilities, and manufacturing and automation. Today, I would like to touch a little bit deeper into our multi-platform engine and our digital capabilities. Personalized medicine is about delivering, delivering, de delivering treatments for any kind of targets and any kind of conditions. We have a technology agnostic approach. We are extremely strong in messenger RNA technologies, but this is not the only thing that we do. We have cell and gene therapies, we are de developing monoclonal antibodies, bispecific antibodies, and we have small molecules in clinical testing. And we are not only focusing, focusing on the modular aspects of these technologies, but we are focusing on the interface between the technologies. Great progress often happens if you bring in two technologies together, for example, cell therapy and mRNA technology. We have now approaches allowing us to empower cell therapies by vaccines, and we will go into approaches where we use the combination, uh, use mRNA applications for engineering T-cell therapies. The idea of having this modular platform is the ability to have complementarity, but also to enable synergistic treatment and thereby enable individualization. Why we are doing that, why we are so broad? At the end of the day, cancer is a devastating disease. And uh, the greatest challenge in cancer is that every patient has a different type of tumor. That means, that means 
we are getting more and more information about the genomics profiles of tumors, but the applications that we have are still based, based on the concept of personalization using single targets. Individualized medicine means that we can get the sequence of uh, tumor sequence of patients, engineer therapies according to the genetic profile of the patient, use off-the-shelf drugs and tailored on-demand therapies to address the inter-individual variability. This type of new medicine has two, two aspects. We need to bring in new technologies, for example, AI technologies to ensure that this, this approaches can be done in an extremely fast fashion. And we have to, to implement a patient-centric way in dealing with clinical trials as well as a patient-centric way in drug development. To address that at scale, we announced on Friday a collaboration with the UK government. It is a, it is a collaboration with, in a broad fashion with the UK health, health system, with clinical centers, with genomic sequencing, sequencing uh, partners. The goal of this collaboration is to deliver 10,000 personalized therapies uh, uh, by end of uh, 2030, allowing us, allowing us to do clinical trials with our portfolio of Im immunotherapies, mRNA vaccines, cell therapies, targeted therapies, small molecules, uh, modulators, in multiple clinical indications, in multiple settings, early stage and late stage uh, therapies. By this collaboration, our aim is to use the power of our pipeline and combine it with a, with a logistic that allow us to do faster clinical trials. One key aspect for, for personalization is the ability to, to dissect data, clinical data, to dissect genomes, to understand how to identify, identify mutations, how to deliver new, new products. And for this we are using, since the beginning of BioNTech and even earlier, digital tools, machine learning algorithms, and we are now reaching a stage where the progress in the world of AI must be connected to the competences that we have on, 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 on drug development. And for that, we had started three years ago a collaboration with InstaDeep um, for connecting really cutting-edge AI technologies and solutions to the cutting-edge uh, um, uh, platform solutions that we have. From this collaboration, from this collaboration, we came up with a number of solutions. So InstaDeep, Today we announced uh, the, uh, uh, our plan to acquire InstaDeep. A few words to InstaDeep. InstaDeep is a, is a leader in artificial intelligence located in London with multiple sites in, in Cambridge, Paris, in Africa, and uh, in the East. Uh, InstaDeep has implemented uh, deep uh, deep uh, AI technologies, collaborations with AI leaders, and has a team of more than 240 engineers. And the plan is to acquire, acquire the company until end of Q, Q, Q1, yeah, so that this team and the capabilities are um, uh, becoming part of, uh, of, our, of our competences. In the last few years, we developed a number of projects, 
successfully, which already already um, uh, showed showed how important uh, the integration of AI technologies in our existing business is. For example, the early early uh, warning system to identify COVID-19 variants in an extremely uh, quick fashion, allowing us to reduce the turnaround time for vaccines or design of mRNA, mRNA backbones to further improve, improve the potency of our vaccines. Our goal is, with the acquisition, to integrate AI seamlessly in all aspects of our work, from the target discovery, lead discovery, as well as manufacturing and delivery, delivery of our products. So coming now to the, to the, to the, to the results and goals that we have in 2000, expect in 2023 for COVID-19. Uh, we have uh, in 2022, we have accomplished to deliver two variant vaccines. We delivered more than 500 million doses shipped, uh, shipped that worldwide. Uh, we have now the broadest label. And we not only manufactured and delivered the vaccines, but we did comprehensive research to understand how these variants evolved, what are the logic behind the mutations, and how the immune system responds. And these learnings are extremely important for future design of the vaccines. We have created a database, safety database, of more than 1.5 billion individuals, and we have uh, built the capability to deliver vaccines in an extremely short time. How does this connect to 2023? So we know that, that the pandemic is not over. Yes, we, we know that the virus is continuing to, to evolve. Uh, in 2022, more than 250,000 people died in the U.S., and we have similar numbers in Europe. And this virus will stay with us for the next years. We are better prepared to address severe disease, um, but, but even severe disease, if, uh, if uh, the last immunization or the last infection is, um, is, um, is, has a longer distance, is uh, getting, uh, getting a higher likelihood. So that means there is a need for variant-adapted vaccines. Okay? And for that, it is important to quickly identify when a variant-adapted vaccine is needed. Uh, and, uh, and then we can continue the, to deliver the, the existing vaccines. What is also important is understanding that these mutations um, uh, uh, circumvented the recognition of the virus by antibodies. On the right side, you see in red the, the reduction, reduction of epitopes recognized recognized um, by the existing existing immune responses and we have left at the moment less than eight percent of epitopes on the surface of the spike protein which is recognized by the by the uh, by antibodies created by the existing vaccines this is the bad message and this will continue to become lower in the next weeks and months the good message is is that there is a second Second protection layer, this is the T-cell protection layer, and it is extremely difficult for the virus to overcome this layer. Still 80% of epitopes of the spike protein are conserved. But we believe that we can make the T-cell response even more potent 
Yeah. We, have, uh, we have now a TISA string vaccine in clinical testing, and this TISA string vaccine is designed, designed in a way that all conserved epitopes from multiple of the, of the coronavirus proteins are, are addressed. We have about 99% conservation of this TISA string epitopes in all strains, and we believe this, with this combination of a spike protein vaccine with a T-cell vaccine, we can even further improve the, the quality of the response that we are getting from vaccination. And we will, of course, continue also with combination vaccine, not only the combo of flu uh, with COVID-19, but also other combinations. In the infectious disease, uh, disease setting, we have started several clinical trials uh, in 2022 including our malaria trial and HSV2 trial. We will continue with these trials. For malaria, we plan to evaluate multiple targets uh, with uh, additional studies in 2023. Uh, we will start our first tuberculosis vaccine and shingle vaccine trial in the next, next few months. And we plan to add additional pathogens in our infectious disease pipeline in the next six to nine months. Coming to oncology, our key aim in oncology is to accelerate the uh, high priority programs towards registrational trials. We have at the moment 19 clinical programs in 22 ongoing clinical trials, and I will touch uh, on a few of these programs which, which, uh, which are suitable for, uh, for uh, phase two studies or for registrational studies to be decided in the next few months. We have on the one side our mRNA cancer vaccines. We have two platforms. We have the FixVac platform where we take non-mutated shared tumor antigens, combine that in a disease-specific fashion. And we have the INES platform which allows us to design mutation-based vaccines uh, configured in an individualized fashion. For both of the vaccine platforms, we have shown clinical activity data. For the INES platform, we have shown data, particularly in the adjuvant setting, strong immune responses, uh, prevention of metastatic relapses in the adjuvant setting. We have data in melanoma, triple negative breast cancer, pancreatic cancer. For FixVac, we have shown objective responses in patients who had relapsed or progressed under PD-1 treatment. We have for, for both, both approaches running phase two clinical trials. And one of the phase two clinical trials that is of special interest uh, is uh, depicted on the next slide. It's uh, INES trial that we have started, started um, uh, uh, in end of 2021. Uh, 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 it's uh, in the perioperative uh, uh, se session, patients with colorectal cancer have a relapse, relapse rate um, uh, of about 30% after surgery. And if they relapse, the prognosis of the disease is, is really bad. Uh, uh, so we, have, we are identifying these patients who are going to relapse using a CTDNA assay, and, and these patients are then randomized, randomized into, into standard of care with chemotherapy or standard of care plus, plus uh, personalized vaccination. This trial is screening more than 3,000 patients 
uh, with colorectal cancer and will recruit more than 200 patients for, for uh, vaccination. And we believe that this is one of the ideal settings for a personalized vaccine to reduce the relapses after surgery. In other programs, I would like to touch on our collaboration with, uh, with uh, um, uh, our partner GenMap. Here we are developing immune modulatory antibodies, bispecific antibodies, and engineered uh, uh, multivalent antibodies. We have two programs which, now, which, which are now reaching uh, phase two, phase, uh, phase two with one program combining uh, checkpoint blockade with an agonistic uh, 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 41BB approach and, and one program 1042 BNT312 combining uh, two uh, immunostimulatory aspects, uh, um, ag agonistic activities. We believe by bringing agonistic activity into, uh, uh, into, into uh, uh, um, uh, cancer immunotherapy, we, we can increase the response particularly in patients with cold tumors. We have seen exciting data particularly uh, for uh, BNT312 which is uh, an immune stimulatory antibody of CD40 and 41BB. For example, in head neck cancer patients, where we have in a small group of patients, 80% of patients showing uh, objective, deep objective responses with head and neck cancer. There are several expansion cohorts now running, and we will report about the progress of the study and how to continue with potentially registration studies in 2023. In the cell therapy field, we started our first clinical trial with, um, with CAR T cells. We are targeting a new uh, molecule, Claudine 6, uh, for solid tumors expressed in ovarian cancer, testicular cancer, many other tumors. Uh, this trial is still in those escalation phase, but we are seeing encouraging objective responses, particularly in testicular cancer, deepening over time with the first complete response now being stable for more than 12 months. The plan here is to, to proceed to a phase two clinical trial in testicular cancer and evaluate further trial opportunities in ovarian cancer and other type of cancers. This is, by the way, a combination of a CAR T-cell treatment with an mRNA vaccine. So, with this, with this approaches, we have a number of milestones expecting us in 2023. This is a selection of milestones um, uh, encompassing uh, new clinical trial, uh, trial, uh, trial starts, data readouts from, from existing uh, uh, clinical trials, as well as start of phase, uh, several phase two uh, clinical trials. Uh, the list is incomplete because we have a number of collaborations and we still need to align in the next weeks with our partners what kind of, of uh, uh, clinical studies we are going to announce in 2023. So our vision uh, uh, remains the same. We want to advance uh, the development towards real realization of our vision. Our goal is uh, by 2030, to become a multi-product global biotechnology leader who is addressing medical need for individualized cancer patients as well as in multiple other indications with disruptive technologies. We are good positioned for that with a broad pipeline of products and technologies now progressing towards registration studies. I would like to thank our team, 
our partners and our investors. And thank you for your attention. And we can now have a discussion round. So um, just as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, you should raise your hand, or you can send it to me on the portal. Nobody has done that yet. Um, so I will start. Um, maybe first, I, recognizing you're not providing sort of near-term near guidance today, how do you think about the long-term COVID-19 revenue opportunity as the world moves toward dealing with it as an endemic disease? And when might we be able to anticipate more of a steady state for COVID revenue? Yeah, thanks, Jess. Oh, sorry, Lon. Thank you, uh, Jess. I'll, I'll start that, and I think uh, Uber, I'm sure, can chime in. I, so I think our starting point here has been that um, there really is no perfect analog for the long-term COVID-19 vaccine market. We think this is a new pathogen. There's still a lot that we don't know. and. While we expect that there, the, vac the, the market could share some similarities with the seasonal flu market, uh, it's, it's not identical. So the seasonal flu market is about a four to 600 million dose per year global market from a volume perspective. I think when we look long term, we think that COVID-19 will stay with us. And those volumes might be the best analog, but probably aren't perfect. But I think there's a couple of features that are different between COVID and flu. And, and just to name a few of those, I think flu is a highly competitive market. You do have a leading brands, um, but here we have a more concentrated market. You know, Uber talked about our, our market share being above 60% and having grown over the last year. So, so that's a difference. We have a, we have a generic component to the flu market here. We don't expect that. Um, so we, when we look long term, we, we see a, a double digit billion market opportunity. I don't know, Uber, if you want to add to that. Uh, yes, I think I think what is really important is is uh, we we can't make predictions about 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 volumes, but we have to really open our eyes and and understand what is going on. People people are seeing. It is very clear that virus is continuing to mutate, and it, it is really in a, mutating in a clever fashion, and it. Uh, the burden, genomic burden of this virus worldwide is so high that it will not disappear. So, of course, we all want that this is, this goes away, but it will stay with us. Yeah. And, and there, we have to get used to a new normal. And what is the new normal? This virus is not only coming, coming in a season. It is coming really, really in an unpredictable fashion. And we have two types of mutations. We have the mutation where we have a variant like Omicron, uh, where the, there are sublineages coming up. And then we have this unexpected, completely new variant, which comes with multiple new mutations and whether, where we have to say, okay, this is a really new variant. And this will continue to happen. Uh, what is also not comparable to flu is uh, is um, it is not just an infection which is then over after an ac acute phase. Many people suffer from chronic symptoms, yeah? and there are more and more data that infected people are virus positive for eight, nine, ten months. Yeah? So this is a different beast, 
And we have to, to be aware of that. We have to communicate that. And we have to find ways to deal with that. I believe one, one trend will be, will be still not only focus on severe infection, but think about how can we develop vaccines and approaches that prevent infections or symptomatic disease. Going back to Ryan, your comment, it was a double-digit billion market opportunity, so total market with UN competitors. Well, you know, I think, again, we don't have clear visibility, but when we look at the structural, you know, some of the structural features that we would expect, we're already starting to see uh, in terms of the evolution of the virus likely requiring uh, sort of seasonal or regular updates and from a variant perspective. Uh, potential for combination vaccines, et cetera, yes. So talking about total market, best guess, we don't know, but I think best guess, we do think that this is likely to be a more attractive market than seasonal flu. So I think that's, I think that's the key point in, in the, over the coming years and, and longer term. Uh, I've got a couple of questions in the audience. Can you bring a mic down the middle aisle, please? Thank you very much. Um, BioNTech has announced unprecedented investments in industrial structures in Africa, soon the most populous continent, and systematically underserved by those companies who normally present here. Would you elaborate a little bit on BioNTech's plans? Should I take that? Yeah, yeah so one, one of our goals is, is, um, is really addressing medical need worldwide. And, uh, and with the mRNA technology, of course, we have now the opportunity to address infectious diseases which were neglected or which were quasi neglected for where there is a huge medical need. So we, we just got an approval of a malaria vaccine is the first malaria vaccine, but we still believe that malaria is an infectious disease with an extremely high medical need when mRNA vaccine, a highly effective mRNA vaccine, can help eradication. The same is true for tuberculosis, and, and the same, even much more difficult to address, is, uh, is true for HIV. So we want to bring our technology, use our technologies for this high medical need, uh, neglected diseases, and, and we have started now our malaria trial. We are going to start a tuberculosis trial, and, and our goal is really if the data look good to, uh, to continue to develop these vaccines and, uh, and uh, get them to the, to the market. Um, this is this is the first aspect addressing medical need. The second aspect is is uh, um, providing access to technology and uh, and uh, manufacturing. Uh, so one of the learnings of the pandemic was was that at least in the first nine months, uh, when vaccine rollout were there, uh, the poor countries didn't get vaccine doses. And this will not change even in the next pandemic because, because it is very clear if we have a pandemic situation, uh, where vaccines are produced, there will be the first, first, first serve. Yeah? So the question, how can we change that? And the only way to change that is to implement manufacturing technology, for example, in Africa. And this is not an easy task because it takes many years and huge investment to get these manufacturing facilities. And therefore, we came up with a new concept, which we call Biontena concept. And this Biontena concept is more or less a plug-in manufacturing technology, which allows with a containerized system 
to produce up to 60 million and in the second phase up to 100 million doses of vaccines in container-based automated digitally controlled uh, uh, factories. And our first factory factory will be implemented, will be implemented, or we had, we had the groundbreaking uh, this year and, uh, and it will be implemented. The first, first uh, manufacturing facility uh, will be there in 2023 and we plan to produce the first mRNA vaccines on the African continent in 2023. So this is in Kigali, in Rwanda, uh, we have identified other sites, for example, in Senegal. We are thinking about South Africa. So by this modular system, we can make technology accessible. Yeah? And by this, we could get two independence yeah, by access to technology. And we will combine that also with, with a collaborative approach, getting access to talents, training the people there so that they can really manage these new technologies by their own. So that's, that's our plan. Um, you have a great uh, COVID-19 vaccine, um, but this vaccine is not available in China. Um, do you think uh, price negotiation is part of the reason? Uh, if that case, can you help? Yeah, so I think your, your question, just to make sure I understood, was that are the price, is pricing negotiations the roadblock to approval in China? Yes. Right? Yeah. So I, I think uh, the short answer is uh, not really. No, I think it's a broader it's a broader roadblock. Uh, you're right that um, we don't yet have approval in mainland China. We have been distributing our vaccine actually for well over a year in Hong Kong, Macau. We've distributed it to Taiwan. We've actually had quite good good uptake in Hong Kong, Macau, and very recently, uh, it, Chinese nationals were able, if they travel to Macau, to get access to our vaccine. I think. Uh, we've not been able to so far to get approval in, in mainland China. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, after a meeting with uh, Chancellor Schultz in Germany and his counterpart in China, uh, we did have a sort of mini breakthrough whereby our vaccine was made available for German nationals uh, in, in China. But I think at this point, um, so far, China has not authorized any foreign vaccine for the broader population. And I think uh, we don't yet have visibility on when or if that policy will change. Another question? Yeah, thanks. You mentioned that you didn't expect uh, the COVID vaccines to go generic um, anytime soon, but I, we've heard Peter Marks mention that he does expect them to kind of follow in the footsteps of the flu in that sense. So I guess, can you offer a little more color uh, around that and, you know, talk a little bit? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, the flu market, we've seen room for both branded products, successful branded uh, blockbuster products, but also the long tail of much lower priced uh, generic products. And then there's a whole a bunch of products in between. I think here my point was that we have a much more, um, uh, sort of consolidated market with a couple of big players globally in the key markets. Obviously, we're, we're in a good position in that regard. Um, and, and so I think over the next couple of years, I, I do think that there's going to be a stronger branded character to the market relative to flu, if we just want to compare. And I think that's uh, unavoidable. That's not to say that there couldn't be on the margin new entrants. 
But we've built up such brand equity in, in our safety database that, uh, for example, uh, uh, sort of such a broad base of the population that have been vaccinated now in, in many cases several times with the vaccine. I think uh, many people have had a good experience with that, and I think that that counts for something as we think about the, the likely shape of the market over the coming years. And I think innovation will continue to add to that, too. I think, you know, Uber talked about some of the next-gen vaccines, the T-cell strain vaccine, potentially the next variant-adapted vaccines. So we're going to continue to invest in the franchise. We look at this as a, as a sort of multi-product franchise, and I think that core part of the market will likely continue to be, let's say, branded because it will be based on continuing innovation. There have also been some headlines, I think, about potential list prices for COVID vaccines in the U.S. as we move to a commercial market and recognizing that you have a partner here. Um, how should we think about what, whatever the net price for community ends up being in the commercial setting in the U.S.? Well, so I, I think it's our starting point here was a very low price on any sort of health economic basis. Um, the price, we started off at 19.50 in the U.S. The price has come up to a little over $30 in the, in the booster phase of the pandemic. But if you compare that to other innovative vaccines in a sort of normal market setting, that's just orders of magnitude lower. So that's the starting point. And of course, that reflects the situation that we were in with, with massive volumes and a global public health need that we felt was important to address. Uh, I think as we transition now towards the next phase of the market, um, we do expect prices to come up in the commercial setting. We and Pfizer have guided to a price per dose uh, gross of 110 to 130. We're not in a position yet to talk about net prices and gross to net ratios, but I think even that price we think is uh, certainly more than justified on a health economic basis when you look at the lives saved through vaccination, the hospitalizations avoided, and the overall benefit from a public health perspective. Maybe with just a little more time here, switching to your oncology pipeline, uh, Moderna recently top-lined some positive uh, data for their PCV program. Is there any read-through that you see from an approach like PCV to your own oncology programs like INEST? Uh, I, yes, I believe, uh, believe what we all expected, uh, and this is not surprising, is that cancer vaccines, personalized cancer vaccines, will be particularly effective in the adjuvant setting. The reason for that is a biological reason. There is much less tumor cells. There's more time to build an immune response. And, uh, and in all kind of experiments, uh, uh, we have seen that uh, that vaccines are ideally uh, suited to prevent outgrowth of metastatic lesions, and that is what is observed in, in, in Moderna's trial. We have uh, published uh, similar data from single-arm uh, arm studies in melanoma, in pancreatic cancer. We are seeing similar observations in, in triple-negative breast cancer, and this, of course, calls for randomized registrational studies in the adjuvant setting. We are out of time, so we will end it there. Thank you.